Chapter 11D of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The slaves of the Romans, in the times of Christ and the Apostles, as well as of the Greeks, then mingled in the Roman Empire, were of the conquered Negro Carthaginians of Africa, who were reduced to vassalage, as well as to personal slavery, about 100 years B.C. Rollin, Volume 1, page 237. Herodotus says, chapter 2, page 254, that the Greeks, in the time of Troy, full 1,200 years B.C., had black slaves, as before noticed. This being true, it appears at once that the race of Japheth, from the earliest times, had practiced enslaving the descendants of Ham, as well as the race of Shem, as God had determined from the beginning. Thus we see that in the times of the apostles, as well as in all ages before, going up to the flood, that the world was filled with negro slaves, wherever the races of Shem and Japheth were found. Now if the practice, in principle, was a sin, and seeing it must have fallen under their notice in all places, how is it that no denunciations are found in the New Testament against it? But instead of St. Paul's reproving the practice, we find him even sending a slave back to his master, whom he had found in Rome. Paul knew the slave, and when he was converted, and he had ascertained that he was a runaway from Colossae, and that he belonged to Philemon, a friend of his, and a member of the church. He immediately wrote a letter, gave it to the slave, and directed him to return again to his master Philemon. Had not this slave been converted to Christianity, he never would have obeyed St. Paul in this matter, nor would he have troubled himself about it. But, as the slave was now, by his association with the members of the church, thrown under the care of the apostle, it was proper for that great minister of the faith to take the matter in hand, as justice demanded the return of the servant to his master and owner again, to which the slave willingly consented for righteousness' sake, as he had become obedient to the word of God. Had St. Paul had any particular objection to the principle of slavery, as applied to the descendants of Ham, now was the time for him to have stated it, and in language the most unequivocal, such as the scribes of abolitionism nowadays would have written on the occasion, which would have been pretty strong, no doubt. But of such objections we hear not a word from the pen of that apostle. At this point of our remarks, we have a most doleful circumstance to present, which, according to the views of abolitionists, must have been a glaring breach, even of the law of Moses, as well as of the benevolent intentions of the gospel. This circumstance, or deed of misdemeanor, is found to have been perpetrated by St. Paul himself, and related to the case of the slave Onesimus, as above referred to. 
in deuteronomy chapter twenty three verses fifteen and sixteen it is written thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee he shall dwell with thee even among you in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates thou shalt not oppress him and yet st paul was the man who sent the runaway servant to his master again oh what a sinner was he according to abolitionism from this fact or transaction of st paul we learn two things one of which is that he did not do wrong in that case and the other is that the slave was a negro or descendant of ham we prove that the slave was not a hebrew or of the blood of shem from the very fact of paul's sending him back to his master as he knew that the law of moses forbade the sending of runaway hebrew servants again to their masters as above shown by the law itself had the servant been a hebrew it would have been unlawful for philemon to have had onesimus at all as a slave for the law of moses did not give delinquent hebrews or any of the blood of shem to the greeks or white men for slaves as it did the negro race and for this very reason the slave onesimus must have been a canaanite or one of the race of ham from the very passage above quoted deuteronomy chapter twenty three verses fifteen and sixteen abolitionists claim that it is wrong to send a runaway slave again to his master in this country but the apostle acted otherwise which he could not have done had the slave been either a red or a white man as the enslaving of those races have not the divine sanction nor were they ever accursed in the sense the race of ham was the intention of that law as understood by the hebrews of moses's time as well as in all succeeding ages was that it was but a mere direction how they were to treat the case of runaway servants from the neighboring nations who in flying from their masters whether edomites moabites ammonites arabs or from any of the nations of the abrahamic or shemite blood to the hebrews were to be protected and not sent again to their masters as a reason for this it should be recollected that all those nations were of the shemite or abrahamic blood and could not be permanently enslaved by any jew and if any servant of this description of blood saw fit to leave their country and master and fly to the hebrews and take sanctuary under the banner of their god they were not to be molested and sent again to their masters to whom no doubt they had been slaves they were to dwell wherever they might choose entering into any business of their power within the range of the twelve tribes such runaway servants were not to be oppressed by this very clause of the text thou shalt not oppress them it is distinctly shown that this kind of servants thus favored were no canaanites 
or any of that race as the law of moses did allow the oppression of that class of men in the matter of absolute slavery and further it is shown that the kind of servants alluded to in that trait of the law were not of the hamite race by the supposed circumstance of their running away from their masters to the hebrews the last country on the earth to which a negro would run as among that people they could expect nothing but oppression as it was one of the very laws of the hebrews to enslave all the people of that character wherever they could find them neither can it be supposed that the trait in question alluded to canaanite or black bondmen who might run away from one hebrew master to another hebrew as in that way if they were not to be returned nor molested the slaves of the whole twelve tribes in a trice at any time could be freed themselves for if a slave of the negro character saw fit to run away from his hebrew master to another of the same description at once he was free for the law forbade any one molesting a runaway servant on this very account the reader can but see that no such servant as a canaanite could be alluded to by that trait of the law of moses which forbade the returning of a runaway servant again if we say that this trait of the law related to hebrew servants who had become thus on account of poverty or any other lawful cause and had been brought under the provision of the law in such cases made and provided if we say that these were the kind of servants who were not to be returned if any such ran away from the hebrew masters then it is not hard to see how wide a door for the commission of frauds would by the very law itself have been opened against the secular business and interests of the whole twelve tribes but how says the reader as follows is our answer suppose yourself a hebrew and living now in old canaan and that to-day you have bought a man of your tribe who had been offered for sale on account of debts or crimes and paid perhaps five hundred shekels of silver for him and to-morrow he runs away going no further than the next neighbor's where according to the law your servant is not to be molested or returned what do you lose why you lose your five hundred shekels of silver and the man goes free cheating both the law and the purchasers there is no way therefore to understand the application of that particular trait of the law found in deuteronomy chapter twenty three verses fifteen and sixteen but to suppose the servants there alluded to pointed out the servants of the surrounding nations not of the hamite race this is evident from the very peculiar phraseology of the law itself which addresses the whole twelve tribes as being but one person as follows thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee who shall dwell with thee even among you in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates in this passage 
it is seen that the law made but one person of the whole twelve tribes, by using the terms thou, they, and thee, in relation to them, and also showing that the runaway servants were alluded to, were such as should come to them from beyond the bounds of the twelve tribes. That scripture, therefore, had no application to either a Hebrew servant, or to a bought slave of the Canaanite race, as a regulation of that sort, touching the legal interests of the owners, would have filled the whole land of Judea with confusion, as whoever might be bought a servant, according to the law, was immediately exposed, by the same law, to lose his money, a regulation to which no community would submit in any age. Thus we have shown that St. Paul understood what he did when he sent again the slave of Philemon to his owner from Rome in Italy to Colossi, a city in Asia Minor, and belonging to the Romans at that time by conquest, as did all the countries of those regions in the time of St. Paul. Had Onesimus been a white man, or an individual of the race of Abraham, St. Paul never would have arrested him as a slave, to return to his master, except the man was in debt to Philemon, as no other race but that of Ham was ever judicially doomed by the Creator to absolute slavery. And this was as well known to St. Paul as it is to all who read the Bible with a view to understand this thing. Surely, had the apostle felt about the enslaving of Ham's race, as many seem to feel nowadays, he would not only have told the slave to run for it, and to steal a horse, or anything else to aid his flight, as do abolitionists, but would have made the subject the occasion of a special treatise to the churches, as he did other matters of great importance, and would have denounced it as a horrible sin against God and human nature. Had not the notion among the converted slaves been entertained that their religion made them equal with, and as free as were their masters, it is not likely that we should ever have heard a word on the subject from the pen of St. Paul more than from other writers of the New Testament. But, as he was well acquainted with the matter in the Old Testament, and as the question did arise in the churches, he found it necessary, while in pursuit of other matters, in his letters, to write on this subject also, and in a very pointed manner. Wherefore he said to bondmen that they should be content with their condition, caring nothing for it, See 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. He said also to their masters that they should treat their slaves well, even forbearing to threaten them, as they were to remember that they also had a master in heaven. See Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, and Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. At the very time St. Paul was traveling in the various countries of the Roman Empire, the condition of slaves, says Adam Clark, see his comment on Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, quote, Among both Greeks and Romans, 
was wretched in the extreme. They could appeal to no law, and could neither expect justice nor equity. The apostle, therefore, informs those proprietors of slaves that they should act toward them according to justice and equity. For God, their master, required this, and would at last call them to an account for their conduct in this respect. To this we will add, that God will also call all others to an account, who abuse their bondmen, as well as those to whom the apostle addressed himself at that time, whether in America, Asia, or Europe, as the institution is one of the greatest responsibility, and, under the supervision of the white man, consequences and results of incalculable account. Close quote. It does not appear that they were admonished to manumit slaves, but were charged only to use them well, and to be kind to them as such. To slaves, he said, instead of telling them to kill their masters, and to run away to some other country, and thus become free, that they should be content, and obey their masters with fear and trembling, as unto Christ. But this is not the way abolitionists talk on that subject. Their speeches are all inflammatory, calculated to rouse the mind of slaves, and everybody else to vengeance, war, and murder, instead of promoting patience, as did St. Paul under the same circumstances. By abolitionists, it is most vehemently contended that the curse of Noah upon the race of Ham was but a mere prophecy, like all the other prophecies of the scriptures, which foretell the good or bad actions of men and nations. But, if this be the true and only way of interpreting that passage, it may then be inquired of what use the word cursed is to the announcement. Could not the communication have been set forth in softer language? Was it not enough that they were to become enslaved without adding the degrading word cursed? Surely the misfortunes of men or nations cannot thus degrade them, as it is not considered sinful to suffer, especially the innocent. On this view, it is impossible to look upon that dreadful word in any other light than as supernumerary and injurious to the party concerned, and besides as also false, for it cannot be shown that misfortunes render any class of sufferers cursed. But the word of God, as in this and all other parts of the scriptures, do not convey false ideas, but true and immutable ones. It follows, therefore, that the word cursed, as used in relation to the destinies of the Negro race, were used in the imperative and judicial sense, not prophetically. In these passages, Genesis chapter 9, verses 25, 26, and 27, the person who violated the privacy of Noah in his repose is alluded to as being then, at the very time the deed was done, a cursed character, and in him all his race. 
In the text, as it is translated, the words, Cursed be Ham, is an appreciation on the head of Ham and his progeny, all identified then and there in his person. But, as it reads in the original, Cursed Ham, without the be, which is a supplied word, it makes Ham to have been then, at that very time, a cursed man, and in him all his race, in relation to slavery, excluding altogether any such notion as the passages being a mere prophecy. But, says an objector, was it not prophesied that Jesus Christ was to come into the world, and that he should be put to death by wicked hands? We answer, yes, and add, moreover, that it was not only prophesied of, but was judicially determined, that he should come into the world to die for sinners. And had there never been any wicked hands to put him to death, he must have died in some other way, or there could have been no atonement. It was a decree of God, an irretrievable judicial act, that Christ should die, because he became the surety of those who were condemned to death and damnation. It did not depend, therefore, on contingencies primarily, but secondarily only. Respecting the curse, or judicial act of God, against the race of Ham, we apprehend that it is to be viewed in the same light as to its fulfillment, whether there should be found on the earth so much as one wicked man or not, from the days of Noah to the end of the world. Yet the race of Ham were to be servants and slaves, or the decree would have failed of its accomplishment, as God saw fit to determine concerning them. Having now finished our inquiry respecting the fulfillment of Noah's prophecy in the enslavement of the descendants of Ham by the race of Japheth and of the dwelling in the tents or countries of Shem, as the Turks, who are of the race of Japheth, are now doing, and of his supplanting the American Indians, we pass to an examination of certain passages of the scriptures where abolitionists seem to think they have found out that Negro slavery was abolished as far back in time as the days of Isaiah the prophet, some seven hundred years before Christ. Whatever God has said and in his word decreed, the same shall come to pass in very deed. And thus tis seen, though many men will rave, Ham, to the race of Japheth, is a slave. So, in the tents of Shem, the white man reigns, O'er all Judea's hills and Persia's plains. To him, the Gentile race, of God was given The gospel, the last great gift of heaven. When Paul, at Rome, turned from the Jewish strife, And gave to Gentiles there the word of life, Take the mighty boon, and rise to high estate, Thou white man, o'er the earth and hell's dark gate. Supplant the black and red man, bear the sway, 
and reign till time shall bring the judgment day. End of chapter 11.